Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 15. And verse 1, beginning with verse 1, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition, everyone say tradition, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Everyone say commandment. Commandment of God because of your tradition. So we're seeing here that there's two, two competing forces, or if you will, two competing ideas. There is this idea of traditions of man competing and challenging commandments of God. We've got traditions. Everyone say traditions. Traditions of man, man-made ideas, man-made traditions, systems, and ideologies that were done with the right heart and put in place with the right intentions to when they were introduced, to help us follow God, to help us keep the commands of God, to help us keep the law of God. And so there were traditions that were like a fence, if you will, man-made boundaries, if you will, to keep us within restraint so that we didn't go directly against or go directly opposing God's will and God's plan for man. But Jesus is identifying that over time, your traditions, your man-made systems, your man-made fence, and your man-made boundaries are actually restricting people from following the commands of God. His word is being compromised for your idea of how to follow his word. And so he's identifying that, you know, these Pharisees and these Sadducees that were always bumping up against Jesus and the way that he did things, the way that he operated, the way that he ministered, the things that he said, the things that he shared, the, the, the miracles, the signs. You know, one of the biggest things that they had an issue with with Jesus was that he did so many things on the Sabbath. You, you see it repeatedly. There's this issue of the Sabbath that keeps coming up. Now, you know, the Sabbath was given to man as a blessing, not a curse. The man, the, the, the Sabbath was given to man to show him an example of what God did on the seventh day God rested. After working six, day, six days, God rested. That was, the Sabbath was given to man as a blessing, not a curse. And they had taken something that God had instituted, wrapped a tradition around it. And now Jesus is doing miracles, signs, healing people, delivering people. But because it's on the Sabbath, they're breaking, Jesus is breaking their tradition. And so now we're losing sight of the blessing, losing sight of what Jesus is doing. Rather than celebrating a miracle, we're concerned about what day of the week he's doing it on. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? And what happens over time, we all do this, over time we build traditions. Even with the right heart and the right intention. And God's word will always confront and challenge our man-made tradition. Over time, we have created even, you know, 2,000 years later from the writing of that text, we are still creating traditions, still creating man-made ideas of what we think God's word says and how we ought to follow it. And then what happens is we create restraining forces or these, these man-made fences that actually keep us from honoring God's word as a whole. And what Jesus is confronting here in Matthew chapter 15, he's still confronting today. 
He's still confronting man-made traditions. He's still confronting man-made ideas. And, and it's so many times that we miss what God is doing because of it doesn't traditionally fit our idea, our system, our routine, our regimen. And we're coming into the days where religion is going to get crushed. We're coming into the days where our regiments and our systems are bowing to the word of God and not the other way around. I'm no longer limiting this word to my concept or my idea or my perspective or my background or my past or my history or what grandma taught or what pastor so-and-so said or what denomination so-and-so said or what seminary said or what theology said. We've got to break these boundaries, crush them, just as Jesus did. Just as Jesus did. And he didn't make an apology for it. Well, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I, I, I didn't, you know, my disciples over here, they're, they're easygoing. God, you know, they don't know a lot about the word. And, and, and so just for, forgive them for not washing their hands and, and, and forgive them for not, you know, keeping this. I mean, he turned it right back around him and he said, in fact, your tradition is actually keeping you from honoring the word of God. You're doing far worse than they are. There, there's far worse things you should be concerned with than whether or not my disciples are washing their hands before they eat bread. Far worse than, than, than when you can't celebrate a miracle because of the day of the week it falls on. Oh, you, you have strayed far. Far from God's intent, far from God's plan, far from what God intended this word to be. This is a freeing book. This is a liberating book. Not liberating and freeing to do and live however you please. But until you know the truth, you won't be set free. For you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Mark chapter 2. Verse 21, this is another instance where Jesus confronts and challenges the things that we heap up over time, the things that we build up over time. And again, here we are 2,000 2, years later from the writing of these passages, and I can assure you we've only done but create more traditions and heap up more fences and heap up more ways of religious activity to limit what God's word is trying to give to us. In Mark chapter 2 verse 21, I'm reading this out of the New Living, it says this, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Verse 22 says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. This is a verse of priority. This is a verse that is helping us identify what is more important. This is a verse that is helping us identify what comes first. And if you are interested in retaining your wineskin rather than receiving the new wine of what Jesus is introducing and what God's word is really trying to give us, he says you'll lose both of them. You'll lose your tradition and the command of God. You'll lose what I'm saying and what you're trying to hold on to at the same time. You don't retain your tradition and, and, and live that way. He says, this is what is going to happen. You're going to lose out on what I'm bringing you, and you're going to lose out on what you think you're holding on to. Jesus is bringing this message uh, at the beginning of his ministry, and he's helping them understand, unless you flip the perspective, unless you, you, you change the container that you're putting the wine that I'm bringing in, you're going to lose it all. The priority is not, how do I fit the gospel into my idea of it? Did you get that? So what happens is, is we hear something from the word. Maybe it's a new word that you're unfamiliar with or a new word that you haven't seen before or a new word that, that is, is being newly introduced to you. And we immediately try to fit that in 
our experiences, our past, our schooling, our learning, uh, our engagement, what we have heaped up over time. We build these wineskins. We build these containers that we try to process the word of God with. And he says, if you try to save the container, you'll lose it all. But if you'll recognize that my word is actually the container, this right here is actually what we should be using to process and give us the perspective of what Jesus is trying to say. Nobody's experience is exalted above the word of God. Nobody's uh, past is exalted above the word of God. Nobody's learning is exalted above the word of God. Nobody's opinion is exalted above the word of God. So what he's saying is, which one will you give priority to? Are you going to value your way of seeing it, your way of doing it, your way of experiencing it? Or are you going to recognize that this is the container, and now I take my experience, my opinion, my thought, my idea, my strategy, and I process it through the word. This becomes the filter, and then what comes out on the other end is the kingdom of God. And what doesn't make it through, I need to abandon, neglect, and let go. I need to let go of it. But he's saying, you're not going to receive the message I'm bringing if you're trying to process it through everything you've already learned. Again, talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, we're talking about religious leaders. We're talking about individuals that are learned. We're talking about individuals that are intellectual. We're talking about individuals that know something. They know the law. These guys, they had to know the law by a certain age, young age. Go read uh, Paul's resume. That was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. I was the leader of the pack. But he eventually says, everything that I learned, everything that I gained, I counted as dung. It's nothing compared to what I have seen in Jesus. What I have seen in the kingdom, what I have seen in the gospel. One more passage, Matthew chapter 13. We always will have this contention within us. You're never going to avoid this contention. And so we must learn how to process what we hear and what we see from the word of God. And that means if you have church experience or no church experience. You know, we say, you know, it, the, the easiest ones to teach and the easiest ones to get to, to, to operate in the things of God are typically children. Why? Because we haven't accumulated enough. The older we get, the more accumulate, good and bad. And then pastors like myself have to come in and we have to tear down stuff before we can build. I can go back in that classroom right now and teach on what I'm about to teach on, and I don't have to tear down half the stuff. They just say, wow, Pastor Mark, you mean I can have that? I can do that? I want that. And they receive it. And have, they have no problem. It's easy. Easy for them. But here, I've got to get through so much stuff. I've got to get rid of your wineskin. I've got to confront your tradition. I've got to challenge what mother so-and-so said and what grandma so-and-so said and what pastor so-and-so said. And you, I've got to, if, if I make it all the way through that and you are teachable and you're receptive and you're responsive, then we've got, we've got some hope. But if I can't get through all that, then we're stuck. Jesus couldn't even get through that with these individuals. You recognize that, right? He, 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 that, that Jesus, in all the control and all the power and all the authority he operated in the earth, the one thing he had no control over was people's minds and people's wills. What they thought and what they did. Couldn't control that. He could walk on water, tell a, a storm to stop, raise people from the dead, but he could not get a Pharisee to align with his mission and his values and his plan because of what they heaped up. He identifies it clearly. It's not that you're of the devil. It's not that you're demonic. It's not that you uh, um, um, are following evil. It's that you have accepted and allowed a tradition to take priority over God's word. You have, you have valued, you have placed a higher value on what I know. Right? You can come to church. You can be one of two positions right now. You can be in this room saying, I've come here for, to hear what I have not yet learned. 
Or you can come in here and say, I want to hear according to what I have already learned. I, I don't know about you. I came in tonight saying, what have I yet to see? What have I yet to know? What have I yet to discover? What have I yet to walk in? Uh, not one of us in this room has solved it all. Not one of us in this room has figured it all out. Not one of us has cracked the code so greatly that we are now the, the, the uh, beyond learning and beyond being teachable and beyond being educated and beyond discovering the wealth of what is in God's word. Matthew chapter 13 it's the parable of the sower. In verse 18, he explains it. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown. This is the one who received the seed by the wayside. The one who received the seed on stony places is the one that hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself endures only for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23 says, he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred, sixty, and thirtyfold. What we identify here is we got four different instances of people that heard the word. Four individuals that heard the word. I can go to Matthew chapter 7 and give you two more individuals, one that built his house on sand and one that built his house on a firm foundation. Two more people that heard the word. But it's not the word that you hear that changes your life. It's the word that you do that changes your life. It's not the hearing of the word, but it's what I do with the word that I hear that will determine the results in my life. Three out of four are unfruitful because they did not do with what they heard as they should. The one that built his house on the, uh, on the uh, sand, on the beach, on the shore, was unfruitful when the storm and the challenge came. What happened? It blew down. It knocked down the house, and great was its fall. Not because he didn't hear, not because he didn't have the same opportunity you have. Now he's sitting on the same row next to you. But what determines is not coming to church and hearing word. It's leaving church and doing the word. Y'all got me? It's what we do with what we hear that determines the results. And we are results-oriented people. When we don't see results, we usually quit doing stuff. If an exercise isn't working, we quit doing it. If eating a certain way isn't working, we quit doing it. If, if, if something breaks, we abandon it and go to something else, right? So it's time for the church to start getting results. It's time for the church to start seeing fruit. It's time for the church to start getting something on the back end. Man, you took the time to come to church. You took the time to come hear the word. You're taking the time to write the notes, to write it, to see it in your Bible. Let's start being fruitful Christians. Let's start producing some stuff that the world's looking at and says, that's the stuff I need. Somehow you're making it and I'm not. Somehow you're, uh, I'm panicking and you're, 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 you're faith-filled and I'm fearful. It's time for us to be distinguished. It's time to, for us to be set apart. It's time for us for, to have something that is attractive to those that are missing it. It's time that we produce something. It's time that we lay down our tradition, our ways, and our values. And start valuing the Word of God. I'm going to take the next several weeks... You know, we've been talking the last few weeks about we don't war against flesh and blood. How are we going to overcome this weariness where we've got to be fighting the right battle, fight the right war? We said this, that if we're not warring against flesh and blood, then we're warring in a supernatural realm. We're, we're warring somewhere that doesn't contain bodies, that doesn't have flesh, that doesn't have blood coursing through their veins like you and I. And even though it can become easy to be distracted by that fight and be distracted by the ones that we tangibly see, there's something else going on behind the scenes. 
And if we are engaging in a war and in a battle with the stuff that we see, then we're missing the battle that we can't see. So over the past week and just praying, you know, where's the Lord taking us? Where are we leading? Where are we going from here? He said, you've got to teach on the supernatural. We have to have a better understanding of the supernatural. We've got to have a better understanding of what's happening in realms we do not see, in places we do not see. We have to have a better understanding of the spirit realm, both good and evil. Specifically where I'm feeling directed at least, probably for at least the next three weeks. and We'll just see where it plays out from there. So I'm going to speak specifically on praying in the spirit and praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. And I want your undivided attention as I do this. Um, I'm a teacher. That, that's, that's, my, that's my gift. That's my strength. So this is going to be more teachy. It's not going to be as preachy. We're going to dive in. I probably gave them twice as many scriptures as I have over the last several weeks tonight, and that, that's it's going to be the course of it because you need to see line upon line, precept upon precept, one or two confirming witnesses that what is in the Bible is real, is for today, and there is no denying it, and it's time for us putting up our defense mechanisms. They have to go away. We have to shut this down. If we are going to combat and fight the war that is at hand, the mess that we're seeing in our world today, we're going to have to learn how to fight on the right level. You're going to have to learn how to enact some supernatural things that are beyond your knowledge, beyond your ability, beyond your understanding, beyond what you can see. And if you're going to fight everything you can see, then you go ahead and waste your time on that. But I'm going to start engaging the battle that we cannot see on the right level and getting some fruit and, be, and seeing some production from that. One of the key things that I feel just strongly about that we need to address is this issue of tongues. And I'm not even going to talk to you about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's obviously part of it. But we're going to address specifically tongues and a prayer language. Because it's praying in the Spirit that's going to help us address the mess. If you are limiting your prayer life to praying in English and praying in your own natural recognition and natural comprehension, you are limited. You are trying to cut down a tree with a pair of clippers. And I'm about to give you a chainsaw so we can get this thing taken care of. It doesn't mean praying in English is ineffective and it doesn't work. Obviously, it works. We know prayer works, period, regardless of what language it's in. Spanish, English, French, Dutch, Chinese. But praying in the Spirit is elevated prayer. Praying in the Spirit is praying beyond my natural comprehension. Praying in the Spirit is praying in an unknown tongue where my mind is unfruitful because it's beyond what my mind can think. It's in a realm that I don't even know what to address. Has anybody watched the news lately and just feel like, what in the world is even happening? I don't even know how to pray about this. I don't even know how to pray for this person. I don't know how to pray for this administration. I don't know how to pray for this situation. I don't know how to pray for this storm. I don't know how to pray for this fight. I don't know how to pray for this country. Is anybody? And it's time to start praying where we do not know. Now, many of you are spirit-filled, and maybe you operate and you engage in praying in the spirit on a regular, consistent basis. Great. I also need you to take a step with us in knowing and fully understanding why we pray in the spirit and how to help other people receive the Holy Spirit so they can pray in the spirit as well. One can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000, and we need more people filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in the Holy Spirit. We're going to distinguish between the praying in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. We're going to differentiate between the personal application and the public application. 
We're going to differentiate between what it means to personally apply praying in the Spirit for yourself and what it means to have a gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues. We're going to distinguish all this. Not just so you engage in it on your own, but that you can fully understand why I need to operate in this. I believe we're moving in days where we're going to need to pray in the Spirit more than we ever have. I believe we're moving into days where it's, it, it cannot be on the, the back burner, on the back end. We only articulate it or use it in a church service or a church setting. But you're going to need to daily spend time praying in the Spirit. It's always needed. But we're moving in days right now where I, 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 find, my, I find myself going there, yielding myself to praying in tongues and praying in an unknown language. More so because I have no, I, I have no clue how to address, how to pray. The Bible specifically tells me that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, specifically when I don't know how to pray. What's the weakness? What I don't know. You're always the weakest where you don't know. Ignorance is a weak point. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. That's a hole that I've got to fill with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We need to know how to pray in tongues, know why it's important to pray in tongues, why it's effective, how it's working, how it's, it's disposing of the enemy. It's pushing back on darkness, and you're doing things that are beyond your natural ability. And look, let me tell you something. Let me just go ahead and get this out. There's never been a dispensation on the, on the face of this earth and the face of this planet that has not had some form of error to it. Never has. But error is not an indication of what's correct and incorrect. So if you're already thinking in your mind of all the errors you've ever seen regarding praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit or how it's been operated in a church service, and, and you're already you know, building those walls and creating those little defenses within you, go ahead and, and just understand, we always mess stuff up. But it's time to get back to the Word. And it's time to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's time to stop. Well, I had this poor experience, or this person said this, or that person did this, or this person spoke in tongues, but then they cussed me out in the parking lot. And so that, that stuff's, you know, craziness. Next week, I'm going to address myths about praying in tongues. Specifically, myths, traditions, if you will, that we've built up that transgress the commandment of God. Acts chapter 2. Y'all with me? You know, I'll be honest with you, probably one of the biggest things that um, I, I bump up against with people that are objectionable to praying in tongues, baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, there, there's several reasons why people object to it. There's several reasons why, people, you know, they just don't understand it. They haven't been taught well. Uh, a lack of knowledge or ignorance. But, you know, one of the biggest ones where people just remain defensive on it and create a, a wall, uh, just to be honest with you, is the same issue that Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's pride. It's pride. We value the wineskin over the wine. I'd rather hold on to my traditional wineskin than receive the new wine of the Word of God and Jesus says, you'll lose both. You'll lose your tradition and the commandment. You'll lose your way of doing it and God's way of doing it. You'll learn everything you thought you've accumulated. You'll, you'll, you'll lose everything you thought you've accumulated and what you could accumulate. What you could discover. Let's have open hearts. Amen. You know, and sometimes, you know, contradiction and challenge and controversy even can help us indicate what's valuable. Can help show us that maybe there's a reason why this is attacked so much. Maybe there's a reason why it's not so easily received. And I just be point blank honest with you. It is confusing. When to do it, when not to do it. What does it sound like? What does it not sound like? Is it an earthly language in a different language? Or is it a heavenly language? You know, how do you, how do, you do it? How does the sure you know why because it's super natural it's beyond natural 
It's above, it's spiritual. It's not naturally comprehended. So you are going to have to open your mind in these services. You are going to have to open your hearts in these services and be submitted to being teachable and being submitted to if it's in the word, I receive it. If it's in the word, I want it. Before I go to Acts, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me go there first. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to set a stage today. Because we are in a we are in a war. Would y'all agree? We're in a battle. Would y'all agree? Unlike what we heard recently, this war is not over. This war continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, he says this, I do not want you to be ignorant. We just covered that. Ignorance is really what you're up against. A lack of knowledge or a lack of accurate teaching or a lack of accurate application. But ignorance he says, I, I can't have you not knowing something in regards to our spiritual gifts, our spiritual abilities, the spiritual component. Component. He says, you can't be ignorant. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. He says, pursue love and desire. Everyone say desire. Desire spiritual gifts. Now, you know, since being in this region and since being in this area, you know, we, we, we've come against um, opposition to the message of the Holy Spirit. And some of it was just ignorance. Some of it was just, you know what, I've never heard that. I'm unfamiliar with that. I'm not comfortable with that. And some of it was literal Incorrect and invalid teaching regarding the Holy Spirit. Such things as tongues has ceased or the use of tongues has ceased. Or some believe that tongues are only for certain people, only certain individuals. Whether or not that be leaders, whether or not be pastors, whether or not be apostles, whether or not that be um uh, maybe it's for that person, but not for me. I don't know how many times I've had somebody tell me, well, I've asked God for the Holy Spirit multiple times, and I, and I, and I haven't prayed. I haven't received a heavenly language, so I guess it's just not for me. The automatic deduction that we come to is, well, I guess that's just not for me. So it's putting a claim on God that he would give to one person something that he wouldn't give to someone else. Sounds like a respecter of persons. Sounds like a God that shows partiality. Such things as uh, tongues is of the devil. Now, somebody that is, wants to be transparent and honest today, somebody raise your hand if you have run with the devil. I mean, you, you lived in sin, and man, I mean, you, you, you did it. You, 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 you were the drinking guy. You were the partying person. You, you were cussing with them. You were sleeping around. You were doing all this stuff. Can, anybody going to be honest enough? How many of you that have your hands raised spoke in tongues? Man, I literally had a guy tell me one time, he said, if tongues were of the devil, I was doing everything else. I ought to have been speaking in tongues too. I was drinking, smoking, dipping, chewing, cheating. For some reason, tongues never came up. I mean, I, I would have wanted that too. If it were of the devil. I've never met a lost person that spoke in tongues. They were speaking in some tongues, but it wasn't heavenly tongues. Okay. I just making sure that we haven't found the one anomaly of the devil running, tongue-talking devil running. No, hadn't happened. Pursue love and desire. Spiritual gifts. He says desire, desire, desire. At the end of the day, 
you're going to receive as much as you want. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? It's easy. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive it. You welcome it. You desire it. You yield to it. Desire spiritual gifts, he says. But especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. No one understands him. However, in the spirit, in the spirit, in the spirit, in the spirit, he what? Speaks mysteries. Mysteries to who? To God? Obviously not. There are no mysteries to God. Mysteries to you and I. Even as I'm speaking it, it's mysterious. Even as it's coming out of my mouth, I don't know. The, one of the biggest things I have to help people with where they get stuck is in what they don't know. Analytical people are, are some of the hardest because we, try, we have to get the mind out of the way. Well, how do you do it? Or what, what do you start with? Or, you know, where does it come from? Or, or how do you activate? Or how, does the, how, how are my vocal, I mean, they're, they're, they're analyzing it and they're trying to figure out how this whole, and you're, and you're missing the point. It's spiritual. Why are we trying to explain naturally spiritual things? No, he says you will speak mysteries. He says you will not understand it. Man, I want to make this easy today. I want to make this easy over the next several weeks. I want to make this easy. Where, but, but, but what, what makes it difficult is all the stuff that we add on to it. All the, well, can you describe it? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Now, we need to remove that stuff. He says it's a mystery. He speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I mean, strengthens himself. If this were of the devil, do you think that he would want you doing something that would strengthen you, that would encourage you, that would build you up? No. If it's so good for you, no wonder he's trying to keep us from it. I'll go even a step further. The reason why some of us are so weak and weary and torn down is because we're not praying in the Spirit. And there's nothing naturally you can do to replace this element in your life. There's nothing naturally you can do to replace what the Holy Spirit can do. I'm talking, man, 15 minutes of sheer praying in the Spirit. You would be amazed what it would do, to how it would even translate to your physical body, how it would strengthen you, how it would encourage you, how it would build you up. We'll talk about why you need to pray in the Spirit and what it's doing. And it's not just about praying, but it's about what it's working on the inside of you as well. There's so much to it that we're missing. He edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, verse 5. What did he say? How many? Well, that pretty much squashes the, it's only for certain people, right? Other, or, you know, it, it, either it's for everybody or Paul was off his rocker. And again, if it's of the devil, then he's encouraging demonic activity in the Corinthian church. He says, I wish that you all spoke with tongues. I wish that you all. But even more, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And like I said, we'll break all that down. Go to Acts chapter 2. Well, you said that you should do it, you should do this more. In a certain setting. But he said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Later on, he says, 
I pray in tongues more than all of you. Paul was proud of speaking in tongues. He wasn't hiding it. He wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't trying to keep it from certain people. He encouraged the church, you all need to be activating this as well. This isn't just for your leaders, your pastors, your apostles, your teachers. This is for everybody. We need everybody praying in the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Fire represents the Holy Spirit. and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many were filled? All of them. All 120 in this upper room. All filled with the Holy Spirit. And began. Everyone say began. And began to speak. Began means that there was a beginning that it was supposed to continue. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You keep on reading, you find out that there were people from all over different regions, different nations, that could hear them praying and could hear them speaking in a known tongue to them, even though it was unknown to the speaker. So in this instance, we know that there was a supernatural ability to speak in a language not known or comprehended by the speaker. An earthly, physical language. Because we have all these nations down below that are hearing these individuals that are Galileans. They, 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 they are not learned individuals. They're not educated individuals. They aren't, they aren't fluent in other people's languages. The people are blown away. How is it that each of us, being from different nations, can hear them speaking in our tongue, knowing that these people are locals? Locals, not locos, like crazy. Although they did think they were crazy too. They thought they were drunk, right? Apparently something happened in this instance that was so crazy that they thought these guys surely have had a little bit too much to drink this early in the morning. That's another topic for another day. I can only address one crazy thing at a time. Began to speak with other tongues. In this instance, it's known to recognize that they were actually speaking in a earthly language, but a language that was not known to them. Paul rises up later on down in the book. He tells them these individuals were not drunk with wine, as you suppose. He goes on to say that this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all. Everyone say all. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit has signs that accompany the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence There's proof. We can see something. In Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8. Again, I'm just laying a foundation and we're going to build off of this. Take time to teach this. Take time to dive into this. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. So these are individuals that had gotten saved, that had received salvation of belief in Jesus Christ as Lord, making him Lord of their life, confessing him as Lord of their life, but they haven't received the next step. There was a desire for these disciples. Hey, salvation's not the end of it, man. There's more to this thing, right? But wait, there's more. That's what he's trying to help them see. Man, we're just getting started. Now that you're in the kingdom of God, God wants to empower you. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had had fallen upon none of them. 
They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, everyone say saw. So there was some physical evidence when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. Now, when someone is born again and when someone is saved, there's not much to see, right? There's not a lot of transformation, not a lot of activity initially in the moment. But somehow there was some evidence. There was something that was seen that this guy, that was, he was literally willing to pay. It was so dynamic. It was so demonstrative, demonstrative that this guy said, man, I will pay to get what's happening right here. I will pay so I can administer that same power to other individuals. He saw something, evidence, physical, tangible. I can see it naturally. Doesn't tell us what he specifically saw in this instance. But based on the previous occurrence and the remaining occurrences, we can come to a pretty deep conclusion. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. In this instance, Peter has a vision from the Lord. He's instructed to go to Joppa and to meet with this Roman centurion in his household. He's ministering to them. This is the first instance where the Jews are going beyond the border, the tradition of man, the Jews, the Jewish circle. Now they're ministering to Gentiles. God had to show him in a vision, do not call unclean what I have called clean. I'm about to send you to individuals you would call unclean, but we're about to, about to lay this thing out. This isn't just for the Jews. This isn't just for certain individuals. It says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, he's ministering to them. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the what? Gentiles also. If we were going to exclude anybody from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it would have been the Gentiles. And now they've got it. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized. In the very next chapter, Acts chapter 11, he goes back to his people, his circle, his Jewish people. And it's telling them what happened. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 no. There's no pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Gentiles. This is for us, man. This is for the Jews. And Peter's like, no, no, no. Listen to what I'm telling you. And he gives a, a recant of what took place. And beginning with verse 15, and as I began to speak, he's telling his people what occurred in the previous chapter. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Here it is. As upon us at the beginning. Where is the beginning? Acts chapter he says the same occurrence that we experienced in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 is what happened there. It's a repeat. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in other tongues. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? Then when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Recognition that when there is a filling, an outpouring, a baptizing of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus, what? Commanded. Amen? He commanded. 
You know, it's, it, it, it's very dangerous to make optional what God commands. One of the biggest questions that we get asked when it comes to the Holy Spirit, if I don't receive the Holy Spirit, can I still go to heaven? Rather than confronting the issue that God, through Jesus, commanded that we be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Be baptized with water, be baptized with fire. So why are we highlighting, I mean, what, what kind of trend do we want to set that we do the minimum? What kind of trend do we want to set that we only want to do as little as possible? Well, if I don't do this, will I still get, is that the spirit that God wants us to have? Is that the attitude that we should have when it comes to the word is, okay, well, what? Well, well, Show me the stuff that I got to do. <laughs> Rather than having the attitude in the spirit of, if it's here, I want it. See, that's why Paul said, you got to desire. You can't force this on anybody. I can't make you see it a certain way. I will not argue. I will not debate you. I will not, I will not you know, have this, this huge major discussion. You don't want to believe it. Then, then your heart's not even in the place to receive in the first place. It's a heart position, not an attitude position, not a head position. Not a, I, just not, I couldn't show you enough scripture. I couldn't do enough to convince you. But if your heart is open and you're desiring, then you're ready. And I know when people are desiring, and I know when they're not, and I know when to shut up. I do. And I won't continue on because I know this, that what it'll do is it'll scourge their heart, and it'll actually push them further away than draw them near. And I'll just chalk it up and say, Father, you're going to have to show them. I've had people tell me that God told them that the Holy Spirit's not for today. I know we laugh, and I, I, these are serious conversations. God told them. Now, the reason why we put the, guard, the God card on it is because they need some weight behind a decision that they came to that doesn't align with the Word of God. So if God encouraged, if God showed you, well, then by all means, who is Pastor Mark to push back on God? But you just called God a liar. You, 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 just, you just took words out of God's mouth and out of his word that are completely contrary to what apparently he's given you some new form of revelation that he was lying to all the rest of us about. It's very dangerous. I know we laugh and we joke and we smirk about it, but people have come to these conclusions that God has shown them stuff that actually is not in his word. It's dangerous to, to allow yourself to get to the position that you believe God has shown you something because your heart is out of alignment and because you've become so prideful and because we've accumulated so much tradition and wineskins that, that God's commandments are so little to us now. And this isn't the only topic. There's plenty of topics that we think God has shown us something different than what is in his word. I mean, Pastor Caleb just the other day gave me a testimony. Somebody at work was asking him, you know, you know what denomination you are? What do y'all preach? What do y'all believe? And finally, he just told him, look, if you just come. <laughs> Anchor Faith Church isn't explained. It's experienced. I, I can't give you the, well, this is what we believe. And this is what we preach. This is the denomination we are. And this is the... You need to come and experience what God is doing here. Quit trying to get all your little comfort check, your, your, your comfort boxes checked before you decide if I'm going to come and be a part. We, we've got so many little things that we want to try to, 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 to check off. And well, do they do this? And do they do that? And do they believe in this? Do they have this? And do they go here? And do they do that? And do they teach this? Man, just come experience what God is doing. But why are they asking? Why are they asking? Because of error. Because we have adopted traditions. Really what you're asking is you're saying, do you have the same traditions that I have? See, we have a new word for it today. Jesus called it traditions. We have a new word today, and it's an acceptable word. It's called denomination. At the end of the day, guys, 
It's just tradition. We have the Baptist tradition. We have the Pentecostal tradition. So now we have this new one called non-denominational. We have a non-traditional tradition. We have a non-traditional tradition now. It's just a box. That's why we ask the question. What do not, you want to know, do I share your values? Do I share what you believe? Do I share, what, rather than saying, man, what is God doing at Anchor Faith Church? We don't ever get asked that question very much. We get asked how many people go, what do we preach, what denomination are you, where did your pastor go to school, rather than saying, what, what is God doing at Anchor Faith Church? What, what are y'all seeing happen here? What's the experience like? Man, just come. See, that, there's, there's, no, there's no box for that. There's no checkbox for that. There, there's no trying to figure out if, if that's the place where I would be comfortable. That's, that's what people are looking for. They want church that's comfortable. We dealt with that a few weeks ago. If you're coming here for comfort, this is the wrong place. I mean, we bought you the cushiest chairs we could find. Outside of that, only so much we can do. And then we get to the Holy Spirit. We get in the conversation of the Holy Spirit, and somehow all of a sudden it's uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, the very heart of the Father, that if, if, if we engaged David and asked about a giant, engaged Moses and asked about a parting Red Sea, and engaged the prophets and about everything that they saw, they would say, tell me about what it was like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. David wishes he could have prayed in tongues. <laughs> the stuff we reject and the stuff that we make fun of and the stuff that we decide if it's for us or not for us, the people in the Old Testament wished they had what we had. You mean the Holy Spirit would literally come and live inside of you? All of you? You mean Jesus said the works I did? you could do? In my day, it was the prophet, the priest, and the king. Everybody else was at the mercy of natural ability. Look, if you want to live to your natural ability, there's plenty of Old Testament there for you. We're in a dispensation where the Holy Spirit reigns inside the life of the believer. and We're called to rise up to the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And the stuff that the church tolerates today it's unfortunate. And we don't rise up. We're in panic mode. We're in fear mode. And we look just like the world. We can't overcome sin. Can't get healing in our bodies. Can't lay hands on the sick and see recover. And the Holy Spirit's the key to all of you. And it's no wonder the enemy's got us thinking it's uncomfortable and weird and chaotic and Confusing and a bunch of crazy Pentecostals over there. No wonder that the enemy would. I'm just talking from my heart a little bit because I, you know, there, there's there's an indignation in me a little bit. You know, I don't take it personal. I, I never have. I never will. But there's a little bit of indignation that I've spoken in tongues when I was seven years old. It's written down in my Bible. And people want to deny that supernatural experience that's available to every believer. I'm not anything special. I didn't do anything that no one else can do. I don't have access to something no one else does. But because of a poor experience or because it doesn't sound right or, you know, you, you can't write it down on a sentence or it doesn't have a vowel or sentence structure to it, that, that we want to deny the power of praying in an unknown language. Been doing it for 30 years of my life. This has got to stop. And on the backside of that, we have to stop having spirit filled Christians that do pray in the spirit, quiet and in the background, like we're fearful of what other people will think. 
It's time for the boldness that we saw Peter rise up with. It's time for the stuff that, what do you mean you're saved and you haven't filled, been filled with the Holy Spirit? You need to know about the Holy Spirit. That's what those disciples said in Acts chapter 19. In verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, how many of us have ever asked a believer that question? How many of us have ever? No, we settle for salvation. And salvation is great, guys. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. Salvation is the entrance into the kingdom of God. It's the translating out of darkness into light. It's coming out of death into absolute life. But there's more to that. And if Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He was very concerned. Did you get it all? Or did you sell yourself short? Did we stop somewhere? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. You can't operate in what you don't know. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Right there, all at one time. All at one time. We've seen that happen in our church this year. We, without even us urging it or encouraging it, they've come down to get saved. And I'll find out later in the week, hey, remember that individual that came down? They, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit too. They ended up speaking in tongues right there on the spot. I mean, literally like the book of Acts. Literally like what we're reading right here. In the, in the very same moment, came into the kingdom, empowered to do kingdom work came into the kingdom and immediately began speaking in other tongues. And we didn't have to do another three-week teaching session. They didn't have to badger them over and over and over. They didn't have to give them, you know, two books and, and walk the scripture by scripture by. There was no scripture. They just said, if you've got it and you're excited about it, we want it too. We want all of it. I don't want to be sold short. I don't want just salvation. I don't want just coming into a kingdom. I don't want this whole, what happens when I die? Where do I go? I want the real thing. I want the kingdom of God and the empowerment to walk and operate in everything God has for me. They didn't care what it sounded like. They didn't care what it looked like. Well, if we talk about the Holy Spirit, people won't come to our churches. 3,000 people came into the kingdom on the first thing. They thought they were drunk. Maybe we need more drunk services to draw people into the kingdom of God. 3,000 souls came in on the very first day of Pentecost. Now here we are in 2021, and we are afraid to even utter that we are spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-equipped, led by the Spirit. Spirit, 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 Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. It's, it's, there's a fear around it. It's a fear of man is what it is. It's a fear of what will people think? What will people say? What will people do? What will, how will they ostracize? How will they set me apart? Many of you are afraid to let your own family members know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you pray in tongues and you won't even pray in tongues over them. You know that you have the power within you to do something about it. But because aunt so-and-so is Baptist and she doesn't know about what you're walking in, you're afraid to even do it. Fear of man. Fear of man and the powers that are locked up inside of us. Release it. Get it out. Get it out. This is the power the church was designed to operate. How do you think we're supposed to bind on earth and bind in heaven and loose on earth? And you think you're going to do that by, by reading Fox News and, and reading CNN and then going into your little prayer closet and addressing what you? No, you don't bind stuff in heaven and you don't lose stuff in heaven and, and, and get behind the wickedness and the principalities and the powers by getting on your hands and knees in a prayer closet and doing the best you can in England. No, you go to a place that where this stuff is happening, where the destruction is taking place, 
Souls are being lost because we're not doing combat. We're not doing war in the right environment. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.